This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. And good morning, Sue. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Lovely to have you with me, and um, such an honour. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Good morning, Sue. Would you be able to just tell our listeners a little bit about your teaching, writing, training and mentoring journey, um, where it began and and how you've got to where you are now. Mm, thank you for the question. That, that's quite a, <laughs> quite a big one, I think. Uh, so I studied at university back in England, in, in at Leeds. I studied Spanish. Uh, as my kind of main language, Spanish and French, actually. And at that time, um, as a student, you had to spend a year abroad um, as a teaching assistant. Um, So um, as an undergraduate, I went to uh, Salamanca in Spain um, because I was um, studying... Actually, I was studying Lorca, but I, for some reason I thought Salamanca would be a good idea to go to. I really wanted to go. Quite there. interesting. You're not the first person who's been on this radio program that went to Salamanca to do something. Oh, oh okay. And uh, it's a beautiful city. Anyway, I was um, I was put in a uh, girls' secondary school as a teaching assistant, um, and I was 20 years old, and um, and there I was, and it was a kind of baptism of fire, I, I like to say, um, because girls can be interesting, <laughs> um, but it was it was great fun. And then when I I came back to England and I graduated, and uh, I wanted to go back to Spain, so I went to Spain. I had a friend who ran a language school. Um, he was a fellow who was actually studying Spanish. At, at Leeds with me, wow. an older fellow. Yeah, quite interesting. He, w- he was a bit older, a uh, British guy, and he owned a, a language school. And so I knocked on his door. I went back to Madrid and mm. I knocked on his door and um, asked for a job uh, <laughs> with the uh, cheek of youth, I think. And uh, to my surprise, he, he gave me a job immediately. And uh, so I started teaching in a this language school in Madrid. And that's where I started getting experience and, and really understanding what language teaching was about. Um, and then I went back to the UK after a year and I qualified and, you know, did my Delta and all that kind of stuff and, and uh, worked in Cambridge as a teacher. Um, so, uh, oh, we're only at the beginning. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, so I worked as a teacher and I got a job as um, I, w- I was working in a school called the Cambridge Academy in Girton, near K. 
Cambridge, a very mm. nice school. Um, and one way and another, I became director of studies of, of, that, um, of that school. Uh, so I spent a lot of time as director of studies. I became quite interested in management and, and support for management. Mm. Uh, and from there, I was there for quite a long time, probably about 13, 14 years. And then I uh, got the job as head of English or head of EFL or something like that at um, International House in London and worked there for a while. And then I went freelance. I worked freelance in 1995. Um, so in the, in the kind of those years when I was DOS and um, head of EFL and all that kind of thing, I did quite a lot of teacher training and different stuff. And I was also really interested in management. So mm. I started the Director of Studies Association in, in Cambridge, which was the first of its type in England. And then um, uh, I founded the Management Special Interest Group of IATEFL. And, um, and then when I went freelance, um, I thought the easiest thing in order to earn money, which I needed to do, was to, to fall back on my teacher training skills. So I kind of, uh, that, that's, you know, mm. for the first few years when I was, when I was freelance, I, I did a lot of teacher training in different contexts. And, you know, I did CELTA courses and I did Curtic courses and, and lots of different stuff and travelled a lot. Wonderful. Um, do, you, do you have a preference? Um... Or did you have a preference for a particular type of training or? Well, I really, um, the CELTA course, you know, I think is, is really interesting, but I found it in the end, it wasn't very satisfying. I, I really enjoyed working with teachers who were experienced mm. already, um, but who, perhaps needed more guidance and needed you know a different kind of a different kind of training um needed to see their students and their situation in a kind of different way um and I became very interested in trainer training because I, I thought well you know where does all this come from it comes from uh, ultimately it comes from teacher trainers and what the teacher trainers are doing in their context mm. uh, is of vital importance. So I became quite, you know, I, I developed into kind of consultant who were, worked with largest projects in um, places like Iran and Central and South Asia and things like that. So I worked a lot with British Council mm. or I have worked a lot with British Council. Um, on those kinds of projects and uh, they're very uh, I think probably they're the most um, rewarding things because also they it's not just a course it's not just like two weeks so for for example I did a project with Iran and I was um, I worked with them for I think it was something like nine years so I was their wow. main consultant so you know I knew those teacher trainers really well mm. uh, we were meeting up every you know twice a year in Istanbul or Dubai um, and I had a personal relationships with them so that was really rewarding um, because I think a lot of our work in, in ELT is is short, short 
can't speak, short, sharp shock. You know, it's like you do a two-week course and, and that's it. And, yeah. and you never never see people again. Uh, so, so that I find very rewarding. I find, yeah, I I did a lot of work with CELTA and then from the CELTA we would recruit one or two teachers and then help them grow and develop as teachers and that whole process was um was amazing and sort of watching how how they improved and how they they grew as teachers is some yeah I think it all takes time doesn't it and I think that's why I really like mentoring because you know you have you see the thing as a process as a kind of conversation Mm. between two professionals rather than um, here I am, I'm going to teach you how to do it. <laughs> um, you've lived in quite a few countries. At the moment, you are in British Columbia, um, but yeah. you've moved around, um, lived in various countries, Spain. Uh, not actually lived in that many countries. So I, I obviously from the UK, I come from near Manchester in the UK, and I spent, you know, first part of my life certainly in the UK then I went to Spain as I say and I, I spent a total of two years there um, and then we moved to uh, Canada oh sorry I, I moved to the Netherlands you're right I, did. <laughs> I lived for three years in the Netherlands in The Hague um, with my partner and then we moved in 2004 we moved to uh, Canada to British Columbia mm. and we now live in Vancouver so yeah a few countries. Do you have a preference or perhaps something it's that's really, unique about each of them? Mm, it's really hard isn't it I mean I think where you're born and where you you know I, I, I do miss the UK um, quite a bit and I miss the most silly things like you know pork pies or whatever it is so um but I I and the, the sense of humor uh, you know I think is is so different and so funny and uh it's quite different here um but I love the Netherlands I loved its openness um you know, and uh, the fact that people are not surprised by anything, and they, you know, they're, they're quite open-minded. Um, I love Spain. Mm. You know, the people are lovely. The food is great. Um, I'd like to spend more time in Italy and, and and spend, you know, maybe extended period of time there. Yeah. Um, and Canada, Canada is great in the sense that it's very encompassing of all. Uh, communities um, because it, it's an immigrant population on the whole you know I mean there are people who came earlier and people who came later but generally speaking it's a population of people from somewhere else yeah so um, you know it it tries to be very um, welcoming of different communities and and I think it manages on the whole I mean there are issues, but I think it, it really manages to do that. Um, it's also started just now, it started this, um, in recent years, it started this um, uh, reconciliation with the indigenous uh, population, uh, which is quite interesting to be, to watch and to be involved in. 
and, and of course, he's really, really important. Uh, so they're trying to do the right thing, Canada, and, and you know, I, pre I appreciate that. And, uh, and it's a very easy place to live. How wonderful. Yeah, no, I, I haven't been to Vancouver. Have I been? No, I haven't. But I have visited some cities. Montreal, I found gorgeous. Um, mm. And um, and areas around Alberta in Canada. Um, but no, it, um, it is a very, very lovely place. So you wear, you do many things and you wear many, many hats. <laughs> what fuels that drive? It's yeah, that's a really interesting question. I don't, I'm not sure I totally know what the answer is. I mean, I think I'm, I'm quite a creative person, so I think that I get ideas about things, and I really want to put those ideas into practice. And I, I do have the ability, you know, you as you go through life, you you gain more skills and. Um, Ideas are one thing, but actually putting them into practice is is another. Mm. Um, and I think I have gained the skills to be able to put some things into practice. Um, so uh, I like that feeling that you know I'm I'm doing something um, uh, creative and uh, that I'm just having a good time, really. Um, <laughs> more than anything I mean having, having just a good trying and, and helping people um yeah I mean I, I I do want to give back to the ELT community because it's been really I, I think it's really been really good to me it's now time for the news um so uh, we will be right back just after the break to hear more about Sue Leather's fascinating career um, so we will be right back this is teachers talk radio and this is teachers talk radio news ASCOL is due to ballot members for the first time in its history the four education unions will ballot over strike action this term and, if backed by members, would see action stretching into next year and could lead to full school closures. The government continues to hold its position that the most recent pay offer is fair and reasonable and that next year school funding will be at its highest level in history. Schools Week covers the further implications of school funding issues in a story about the cuts some head teachers are making. In a survey conducted by the National Foundation for Education Research for the Sutton Trust, it was found that schools are cutting back on school trips, teaching assistance and IT equipment to help balance stretch budgets. Responses from 1,428 primary and secondary teachers show 50% of senior leaders said their school had cut back on trips and outings this year. Schools in the most disadvantaged areas were most likely to be impacted by cuts to trips. The research suggests that in secondary schools, leaders are also cutting back on subject choices at both GCSE and A-level. The Department for Education has estimated schools overall could afford £2.4 billion in new spending between 2022 and 2024 before facing net pressure on their budgets. But the Confederation of School Trusts warned its members could face a prolonged period of financial challenge 
due to pay rises and other increasing costs if more funding was not forthcoming. The Sutton Trust's poll also showed that some school leaders are using pupil premium funding to plug budget gaps. The report also underlines the issue of recruitment into the sector, with the NFER predicting that the DfE will again miss its recruitment into initial teacher training target this year. Meanwhile, the TES focused on a DfE funding rule change to help schools hit by falling pupil numbers due to a decline in birth rate. Schools that are not rated good or outstanding will be eligible for additional funding. Other changes will be introduced from 2024 to 25, and councils will set expectations around the minimum funding they must provide to support schools with significant increases in pupil numbers. Schools with more than one site will also receive extra funding where they need to duplicate services over multiple sites. Falling birth rates mean there are projected to be half a million fewer pupils in English state nurseries and primaries in 2028 compared with 2022. Nurseryworld.co.uk reports on the findings of its recent survey into staff wellbeing around Ofsted inspections. In the article on its website, it reports that over 3,000 owners, managers and staff responded to questions around mental health and well-being and the impact of inspections. Many responded that they felt increased stress and anxiety in the run-up to an inspection, with many having sleepless nights and some suffering from panic attacks and depression. The possibility of losing funding, should a setting be judged inadequate, was also mentioned. Full details of the survey can be found on the Nursery World website. The Guardian reports that a record figure of £4.8 billion interest has been added to student debt in Britain last year. The government has more than doubled the amount of money it makes from charging interest on student loans as graduates face borrowing costs of almost twice the rate set by the Bank of England. The Office for National Statistics said the accrued interest had doubled from £2.3 billion in the previous year. The forecast average debt among the cohort of students who started their course in 2021 and 22 is £45,800 when they complete their course. Finally, the Morning Star in Scotland reports that increased spending per school pupil is failing to deliver improved outcomes. Spending per pupil has risen to £8,500 in Scotland, compared with around £7,200 across England, Wales and Northern Ireland but attainment in Scotland is not on a similarly rising trajectory. Research by the Institute for Fiscal Studies shows that despite having the highest spending per pupil across the UK for a long period, test scores in reading, maths and science have either stayed the same or have been going down. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to attempt to explain in simple terms how the internet works. Let's take this tech briefing for example. I know every single one of you at some point have thought, how on earth can someone who makes a recording in one part of the world be broadcast globally to thousands of people and there'd be very few errors? I won't even go off when you go under a bridge. Although, I did give Tom Rogers a lift once and can tell you he's so radio he stopped talking when I drove through the Mersey Tunnel. For the internet to work, a way of allowing people to simultaneously use the same cables had to be created. The traditional phone call method could not be used because 
This would limit the number of users. If computers made a dedicated connection like a phone call does, then there'd be a lot of waiting going on. Imagine if you had to wait in line for a download. You are 457th in the queue. Your download is important to us. Please listen to this monotonous music while you wait. It simply wouldn't catch on. So, what happens? Data is transmitted in a similar way to the postal system. Just a lot quicker. Right now, this podcast is arriving on your device in a series of packets. Packets are really small chunks of data that can be sent from device to device via routers. Without getting too geeky on you, the host server gets a request from you and you press play. The request says, start sending me the packets of the audio chocolate you know as Steve Woods' tech briefing. And like chocolate, it's split into chunks. These chunks are given an address to get to, an address of where they came from, some other information, like the type of file being sent, so your device knows which applications you open it in, and a number so the packets can be ordered and rebuilt when they arrive. These packets are directed over the internet by routers that use the address information to direct them and then rebuilt by your device once they arrive. Because packets are so small and can be forwarded rapidly, lots of computers can send data at the same time and keep everybody connected. So next time you're using the internet, consider that what you are looking at has probably been split into thousands of packets routed across the world and being rebuilt in a matter of milliseconds for you to enjoy. As always, if you have a tech question, why not send it to at TT Radio Official. I'm Steve Woods. And that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Um, I'm with Sue Leather again to hear more about her her fascinating career. Um, So you're an author and a strong advocate for extended reading. What What are some of the benefits? Well, um, there are lots of benefits. Um, the research is pretty clear on extensive reading. I mean, the, as I'm going to say in, in my ITFL presentation, the jury is not out. The verdict has been returned. Mm. And, um, you know, it's pretty much um, set that um, extensive reading is one of the best things you can do to improve your language skills. And there's lots of research in areas of, you know, reading skills, writing skills, vocabulary development, um, even things like affect and oral skills. Mm. Um, So, you know, for me, uh, the, the research is there and, you know, people like Rob Waring and Gray, have said things like, you know, the only question really is why we're not doing it more. Mm. And uh, so for me, the question is is not so much what are the benefits, but what what's the missing link? Um, and I think probably the missing link is motivation. And the questions really are how we can motivate um, teachers to use it and, and students to to benefit from it in classrooms. Um, that's that's the thing. I don't want to be. A, I don't want to spoil all of it. But some possible solutions. Yeah. Well, um, I I think that you have to have what we what we did in our book. Jesuit and I wrote a book about the role of motivation, and what we looked at was. Uh, you know, how how to provide motivation, how to get students motivated Mm. to read. And I think there are certain things you can do, which I'll talk about in my (laughs) TEFL presentation, Mm. Uh, but they include 
things like having goals conferences. So you have to ha get students to believe that they can uh, they can be successful at this. So it's a question of beliefs. Mm. Um, you know, can I do this task? Yes, I can do this task. It's also a question of values. Do I really want to do this task? Mm. Why should I do this task? Um, and, and goals. And, and so you can do things like have goals conferences, have kinds of poster, um, you know, put posters on the wall and get students to set their own goals. Um, try to get students to develop their own regulatory practices so that you're not, I think one of the issues is, it's often the teachers kind of saying, okay, we're gonna read this book. <laughs> You've got to read it. Um, what we want to be get going towards is the, the students saying, well, this is really interesting to me um, and I want to read it. Um, mm. And I think that interest, interest is another issue. Um, yeah. I'm sort of bobbing around from thing to thing no, here, no, but no. I think I think interest is another big issue because I think that often, for example, if we think about our own reading, well, what do I read? I, I'm really interested in literary fiction and um, thrillers. You know, that's what I read mainly. I read a bit of nonfiction, mm. but so if I wanted to impose my reading on you, you might you might, for example, really love science fiction, or you might like reading books about knitting i don't know yeah, we're, um, just having, we're just having a conversation about this. Um, we, i was just having the same conversation with my sister just must be about 10 minutes ago so we're talking about she's arrived and she hasn't got her, her book list together so we're just thinking about what she's going to read while she's finally on holiday and i've got this a collection here of like some of my dad's books and some of my mum's books um but neither are we kind of read differently. <laughs> Dad, yeah. very, you know, history and real stories, and mum sort of completely. So yeah, no. What kind of reader you are really does. And yeah, and I think a class I, of thirty students. Um, yeah, you're going to have I, I, more. That's yeah, that's right, and I th I think that's one of the big issues, and and mm. uh, so providing students with choice is a big issue, especially in circumstances where you don't have a school library mm. or you find it hard to, you know, it's underprivileged in the sense that, you know, there are not enough books around. Um, so these are difficult questions. I don't think we've, I mean, Jess and I worked hard on this, but I don't, we're not saying that we have the solutions, the complete solutions, but I think we're opening up a conversation that's ongoing in the ELT community mm. and that, you know, how how can we, we know it's good. We've got the results, you know, the, yep. the, the scientific empirical ev evidence is there. So what can we do to really uh, make it happen more? Mm. In classrooms? Okay, sounds, um, yeah, I, I will look forward to that. I, um, I obviously have, I, I also wonder how much, has been replaced by technology. So the yeah. perhaps I spent as a child with a book has been replaced by um, something else. Yeah. yeah, I think that's true. And I think I had, I had a conversation on LinkedIn a couple of months ago about this and, and that came up as a, an issue. Mm. Um, 
and I think that's definitely there. I mean, you you're competing, um, you're competing with that. Um, and people of our age, or my age certainly, you know, we still can, we still have that memory of, of growing up with books and and just reading. We didn't and have being phones and also being hungry for books, wanting more. Yeah, and... yeah. Um, but he, even now, I think it, I think it's a matter of getting across your passion for it. I mean, I notice I I do two things. I read a book, paper book. <laughs> And um, I also have books on my Kindle and my iPad. Mm. And they're two different activities somehow. And there's still something about reading a paper book, um, whether it's my age or not, I don't know, but I, I suspect it's not. I suspect there is a different process going on. And uh, I think if we can get over that that kind of passion to, you know, that, that intimate kind of... Uh, reading that you do when you've got a book in front of you um well we'll see whether that works <laughs> yeah so you, you don't feel like you're reading when you're when you're reading your kindle i do but i find it uh there's something to me there's something much more relaxing about reading a paper book yeah um I do read on Kindle simply because when I travel, it's so much more convenient. Mm. You know, I'll have maybe have a thin paper book and I'll have a few books on Kindle. But um, but there's something, and I don't use it at night before going to bed, for example, mm. because it keeps me awake. So I like to read my my old fashioned paper book. Okay. Um, in terms of your teaching beliefs. How have they evolved over the years? What books? Your beliefs about teaching. Oh, my beliefs about teaching. Um, that's a really good question because it's, it's a lot of years, I think. Um, I think when I started out, I, I was mad, mad for it. I mean, I, I just... I loved VLT methodology and all the rest of it, and and it is great. Um, but I think that probably meant that I felt that as a teacher, I was slightly more important than I actually am. <laughs> and, you know? Observation. And, um, I mean, I, I, I don't want to say that teachers aren't important. Of course they are. They're kind of catalysts. And, you know, I, I spent my whole life as a teacher, so... Um, and I admire teachers and all the rest of it. But um, I think that if we can kind of sometimes take a step back a little bit um, and um, gather information and and find the teachable moment rather than constantly be trying to teach, mm. um, <laughs> I, think, I think that's, that's, I mean, I think that you do that as you, you gain experience and you get older anyway because first of all you don't have the energy to, to jump up and down like you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yep so it's a council of perfection but I, th I do think um yeah I do think that's that's the way I see it mm. it's just you know um looking at the energy seeing what's happening and trying to ride that energy and, uh, you know, sometimes you get it wrong and sometimes you get it right. But 
I think that would be my philosophical <laughs> judgments. I think. Do you have any advice for teachers today? What advice? Ooh. I don't know. <laughs> so hard, isn't it? Yeah. I think I I think I think I'm actually relieved that I'm out of the classroom now because I think it would be quite hard to deal with everything, especially in the state sector. You know, I was listening the other day to the radio about what's happening in the UK and teachers are so overworked and mm. so um, they're thinking they were going on strike and, you know, too much, too much work to do, basically. Mm. Um, and you've got students who are technologically very savvy and probably, you know, got their phones in, their, in the room and all the rest of it. I'm not sure I'd be able to deal with all that now. Um, so me giving advice, I don't know. I think they could give me, me advice, probably. Uh, I actually I heard, I, there was a very, it's a very short interview. If you've got time to listen to it, it's actually part of te uh, teach, Teachers Talk Radio. Mm -hmm. um, and it's an, a 20-minute interview with Michael Rosen. Michael Rosen? Yes. The... Um, Yes. Yes. Lee, Michael, uh, going on a bear hunt. Yes. yes. And um, he made some fabulous suggestions for um, for teachers today. Um, he, obviously Ofsted has caused quite a lot of trouble mm -hmm. in the UK and it's pretty awful. Um, and he was just saying, rather than saying your school is... Um, is dreadful how about asking what can we do to help you and return yes. return to um continue continuous <laughs> professional development um yes. experienced teachers working with less experienced teachers basically all the things that you've you are doing <laughs> yes and and yes. help them improve rather than well, striking them off yeah, the, that's right. There's something definitely wrong, isn't there? Because the, mm. there was that suicide recently of a head teacher in the UK, yeah. mm. and I think they're having a big, um, big, um, doing some big research into Ofsted, mm. and uh, it's likely to be changed. Yeah, I mean, it's just ha having been, you know, when I was head of EFL, and also when I was DOS of the Cambridge Academy, I, I was kind of in charge of inspections when when British Council came to inspect you know and it's absolutely terrifying mm. uh, I mean the British Council inspections I was British Council inspector and I think they're really they're really good um uh the accreditation system yeah uh, not that it isn't really good but it is terrifying because your work is being inspected by people coming in and uh, you don't know what teachers are going to do on any given day it's um it, it it is it is a funny way of going about things and i think um i think yeah they do need support rather than judgment mm. in, in many cases and uh if we can say you know well we we can support you that would that would be great
yeah, so I think something does need to change with the current system. But then, I mean, you 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 come from an international health background as well, which is probably one of the most supportive teacher teacher networks I think I know. I mean, the way um, the, the level of support at, at all sort of um, phases from teachers to management, there's very very clear good support and good professional development. Um, it's certainly uh yeah example of excellence in yeah the ELT world. yeah I think so I mean yes I think so I mean I I actually came into I wasn't kind of born and bred in international house I was born and bred somewhere else the <laughs> uh, Cambridge Academy sort of thing yeah. and I came into international house um as as a senior quite senior manager mm. So that was interesting in itself. So I got the chance to look at the culture. Uh, it's very admirable. Uh, you know, I, I didn't really grow up in that kind of shelter. It's very, or it was at the time, and I don't, I don't know now, but it's very shelter focused. It, you know, I didn't grow up with that. Um, but yeah, there's lots to learn there. Um, yeah. Definitely. No, I, I was I was British Council for about twenty five years, so I was always really happy when I was recruiting a, a new teacher, and if they'd come from international house, yeah. um, we would always know that they'd have had, they've had a certain level of of support and and growth development. Yeah. It's um, it's a fabulous organisation for that reason. Um. Who are the people that inspire and influence you today? Oh, that's a really interesting question. I mean, over the years, I've been inspired by, you know, quite a lot of women in ELT, you know, mm. the generation just beyond me, with, you know, Catherine Walter and Tessa Woodward and those people um, inspired me. Um, quite a lot. When I look around ELT today, uh, I don't know really that I, I suppose because I'm kind of nearer the end of my career, so I'm really looking at different, in a sense, looking at different things. You know, I'm I'm, I'm quite interested in writing fiction, so I, I look at writers, and you know, I'm always looking on the lookout for people that I, I really want to. You know, you read something, you think, geez, I wish I'd written that sort of thing. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, so I'm looking more at those kinds of people than, than at ELT these days. Um, but yeah, there are some there are some people who've changed the conversation. I mean, I worked with for some years with Mario in Volucri and he because mm. he was based in Cambridge for a while and uh, he worked at the school he asked me if he could come and teach at the school and he was he yeah he he worked with us for quite a long time and I, I knew him very well and he was you know he could be a pain it mean, was quite hard to work with in some sense because he was always changing the conversation uh, he was a real um <laughs> maverick Mm. I remember I remember a story about him once doing a conference presentation from under the table. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> yes, that sounds like him. And, um, but, uh, you know, and he, he could, he, you know, it wasn't always a, an easy relationship I had with Mario, but um, I did admire him because he wanted to change the conversation mm. almost constantly. He wanted to make people see things that we, you know, we normally don't see. Mm. Um, and pedagogically and in life. Um, so I think he he was one of those people for me that, that really that was in retrospect particularly at the time it was quite hard, but in <laughs> retrospect, um, you know, made 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 things interesting. And there were still some exercises, sorry, mm. there were still some activities of his that, you know, until until recently I was still using. Mm. No, definitely, definitely. He. Um, what do you, um, okay, so people who, who inspire you, um, what about um, work that's been done by others that has most inspired you? You mean in ELT? I really like um, Tessa, Tessa Woodward's work on teacher training, particularly mm. on loop input, that yeah. kind of thing. Um, that's kind of, you know, in the past now, but I really learned a lot from that. Um, yeah, I liked, I liked her work. Um, I liked, I like um, Angie Maldarez's work on mentoring. Mm. Uh, you know, all those stuff is really interesting. Uh, and she actually worked on a project that I worked on in Central and South Asia, and that was that was interesting. Um, and lots of people doing really interesting things. I think the people who make, they were opening up the conversation about diversity and inclusion, mm. you know, some of that is really really interesting. Um, lots of lots of interesting and necessary, I think, and necessary. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the change or anything where there's change I, I quite like to see I mean I sometimes may resist it for a while I think that's a normal human uh, trait um, we sort of, the, the way I learn is to kind of say question it and, mm. but then I think oh, it's good that we have that because we constantly need to keep evolving definitely, definitely. Um, what what do you hope to accomplish within the next year or so? What many things well, are you working on? Well, no, we're working on this. Um, uh, so we've got with Eve now mentoring. We've got a, a nice steering committee in place, which is Alex Popovsky and um, Maureen McGarvey and Chris Chris Graham and me. And what we're working on is we're getting these programs going um, and then we are hoping to build up a core of organisers who can run programs. Mm -hmm. At the moment, you know, it's us running the program. So that's not really sustainable. So we're trying to build up a core. We're trying to tra train up people to run course, to run programs so that we can kind of take a strategic look at what's going on. And then this group can kind of run the programs. So that's one thing, sort of practical thing 
that I'm working on or we're working on for sustainability. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's that. And um, I have a couple of uh, proposals, book proposals, kind of <laughs> bubbling away. Um, I don't know how those will go. And then otherwise, I, I, I want to... I want to now turn more of my attention back to writing fiction. Okay. And uh, so, you know, I'll be, I'll be, I'll have one foot in ELT, but I'll have the other foot in something a bit different. Now, I, I noticed that on on social media, you you post paintings frequently. Yes. Are they your work of art? Yes, they are. So um, <clears throat> over. Uh, they are my work. Over the Christmas period, somebody mentioned on, on social media, this is why social media was so good. Somebody mentioned this uh, app, Procreate, and um, I th- I had a look at it and, and bought it, and it's really quite inexpensive, and put it on my iPad, and I started doing a little painting. So prior to that, you know, I was writing... Uh, and still, I write a little kind of prose, bits of prose mm. relating to different things. And um, for some reason, over the Christmas period, the, the writing left me. I was like very exhausted, I think. And I started just seeing visuals, things. And so I used Procreate and I started doing little drawings. And they were pretty awful at first, but I think they're getting a wee bit better. and so I quite enjoyed it and and it was interestingly enough because as a writer you have to be very observant of things right people and things and I felt like I was looking at things and I was observing more because I wanted to paint them I wanted to draw them and so I started, and now I've started this thing where I have the painting and I reflect on painting and writing. And so I'm kind of bringing the two things together. So, yeah, that's a long answer, but um, so, yeah, procreate. I love it. Self-publish this or? Um... <laughs> yeah, who knows? Who knows? I mean, at the moment I'm just doing it on social media, but I'm always looking for opportunities. <laughs> No, it's um, it's fantastic. I, we've learned so much about you in this very, very brief interview. But um, is there something, is there a fun fact about you that perhaps people don't know that you would like to share? Uh, a fun, I don't know whether it's a fun fact. Maybe it's fun for some people, but I trained in martial arts for 10 years. Oh. So... So I am Dan Grade in karate. <laughs> oh Although God. I haven't, I haven't <laughs> used it for years. So traditional karate, mm. um, I haven't used it for years, and I, I, you know, I wouldn't trust myself to to use it. But um, but I did that in my thirties. So yeah, uh, that, that's maybe <laughs> a fun fact. <laughs> <laughs> you have a favorite quote. You know, when you asked me, you said you were going to ask me this, and I, the only thing I could come up with was, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. 
So this idea that if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always done, what you've always got. So in other words, in other words, um, you have to keep changing. If something's not working, you have to change it. Mm. Uh, and I think that's that's really hard for human human beings to do that. You know, you keep knocking the nail on the head, and especially I don't I don't know. I'm quite stubborn, so mm. you know I can think this should work, this should work, this should work. But it's not working, so try something else. And uh, it's simple, but I think it's quite quite a good key to having a long um, and varied career in, in, in something where you, I don't know, you, you could be a teacher all your life, which is great. And some people do that and they're really talented at it. Or you could do lots of different things. Mm. And, um, I mean, when you, made, when you made the choice to go freelance, what prompted that, that change? Well, they were having a change of the management culture at International House, so I didn't have much choice about it. Mm -hmm. um, and what what turned out, so at first I wasn't terribly happy about it, mm. but within a very short time I became very happy about it because a lot of people rang me up and said, oh, we've heard you're not, not IH anymore, do you want to? go to Serbia to do a course <laughs> for six weeks, you know, this kind of thing. Mm. And um, and I suddenly saw, so what, you know, when something happens and you, you, you see yourself in a certain line and you think, mm. okay, I'm going to be head of ELT and probably, you know, I'll go up in the career, like this chosen career. And it's a bit disappointing when that doesn't happen. But suddenly another, you know, cliche but one door closes another door opens everything opened up and it's like wow mm. there's all this stuff going on and I can travel which I really like I can you know meet different people etc etc so I think being that kind of resilience is is helpful yeah definitely and also I think I had I had a similar situation a few years ago and I was very upset about it to start with, but now I think it was uh, almost best a, thing. <laughs> the best thing that could happen to you, right? That that's the way I see it, you know. And and everything everything turns out. Yeah, no, I I, I hope so. I think, but as you said, if it doesn't, change it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. So thank you very much for your time this morning. It has been absolutely wonderful talking to you and hearing about the many, many things that you do. Um, it's fascinating. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, um, where would be the best place for them to go? So I'm on social media, so you can find me on social media. Um, I have a web, I have two websites, actually. So sueleather.com or sueleatherassociates.com. Okay. Um, and you can find my email there and uh, be happy to hear from you wonderful thank you so much for your time thank you it's Lovely. been enjoyable talking about myself for so long <laughs> <laughs> great fun yeah thank, thank you. you thank you very much you've been listening to teachers talk radio 
Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.